Hey guys, hope you're doing well. Uh, I'm excited to continue in the uh, Word of God this morning. And uh, we're continuing in our series that's titled Shift. Um, And last week, my message was titled Repent and Believe. You know, and if you haven't gotten a chance to, uh, you know, if you weren't able to be with us last week, I'd really encourage you to go back and watch part one. We covered a lot. Uh, and we, we talked a bit about the anticipation of the coming of the kingdom. Uh, and we looked at what Jesus meant when he started out his ministry by going around and saying, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. You know, and he wasn't saying, stop sinning and change so that you get to go to heaven. He was urging them to set aside their way, to set aside their agenda and their notions of how they thought things would go and should go. Jesus was urging them to shift their minds because the kingdom that he was ushering in was going to be very different than what anyone would have expected or anticipated. And some of them, they missed it. The kingdom was unfolding right under their noses and they missed it because they were so set. They were so set in what had been. They were so set in the ways that they expected and wanted things to go that they missed it. Guys, God's hand is on the world. And the religion that we've set up has been halted. No more bans, no more buildings, no more events. I don't know what God is doing. I don't know where this is headed. I don't know what it's all going to look like. But we've got to be ready and willing to shift to whatever it is that God is doing so that we don't miss it too. Now, I, I do want to address something. You know, I said something last week and, and a, you know, a few people had, um, you know, messaged me about it. And so I just wanted to clarify a little bit. I love dodgeball and kickball. Okay, Uh, and I'm pretty sure that if Jesus was here after calling us to repent and believe, he'd probably be down to play a game as well. Um, Okay, so just to get that out of the way, just to clarify, I love dodgeball. I love kickball. All right. Now let's get into where we're going today, because today we're going to look a little bit at the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus describes what life inside this new kingdom should look like and what the citizens of the kingdom of God should look like. And once again, there's no way to cover everything on the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so so that's not what we're going to do. But I do want to focus on an important aspect of Jesus's message. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus was trying to get them to make a shift, to shift their focus from the external to the internal. Jesus was shifting them from the little details of the law to the heart of the lawgiver. You know, we may not know what things are going to look like, but Jesus makes it really clear who we need to be as this unfolds and as we move forward. 
And so the title of my message today is The Kingdom Rule. Now, it is a little bit ironic that the title of my message is The Kingdom Rule when the Sermon on the Mount was all about Jesus trying to shift people away from the little rules and details of the rules. But it'll make sense as we go. Okay, so turn over to Matthew chapter 5 and let's begin where Jesus begins in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, guys, this is, this is really important. Jesus is sending a very clear message and setting the tone for the rest of his sermon by how he starts. He's laying the foundation of his kingdom. And of all the places that he could have started, he starts by focusing on the heart and the attitude of the kingdom citizens. And more specifically, a heart of humility. The kingdom belongs to those who are aware of their desperate need for a savior. The kingdom belongs to the spiritual beggars. Guys, you know what the reality is? We are all, every one of us, a broken, sinful mess. And we are all in desperate need of a Savior. And when we start to lose sight of that, that's when things start to get a little sideways. And Jesus tells a story in Luke that perfectly illustrates this. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. It says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Just a perfect contrast and a perfect example of what it means to be poor in spirit, to be a spiritual beggar. Guys, Jesus is sending a powerful message to his audience about his kingdom. It's a kingdom of the heart. You can do all the right stuff. You can fast as much as you want. You can tithe all you want. You can obey all the rules, all the commands you can think of. But if you don't have the right heart, you're going to miss it. If you're not humble, if you're not truly aware of how broken and desperately in need of a Savior you are, 
you have no chance of entering the kingdom of God. Guys, we are all a broken, sinful mess. We are no less in desperate need of a Savior than anyone else, period. That's where this whole sermon starts. Entrance to the kingdom of God starts on our knees. And guys, this is hard because I think we all know this. But you know what that means? That means we're no less in desperate need of a savior than you might think our president is. We're no less in desperate need of a savior than that rioter or that police officer that you see on TV is. Now, I know many of you probably don't want to hear that or don't like to hear that, but it's true. And that's where Jesus starts this sermon. He's laying the foundation for the kingdom of God. And where does he start? Not with an action, not with a behavior, but with a heart of humility that is broken and aware of how desperately we need God. Guys, there is no point in moving forward if we don't first get this. And at any point in our discipleship that we start to get off track, we got to go back and revisit this because this is where it all starts. And so before we move any further in our lesson today, I would like for us to bow our heads in humility and pray to God. Father, we come before you so humble. God, we're probably 10 words into Jesus's message. And I just pray that we can have soft hearts and humble hearts. God, that we would be poor in spirit. God, open our eyes to our spiritual condition. God, help us to have the humility to see that no matter where we're at in life, we are all desperately in need of you. God, we are so lost without you and we need you. And I just pray for all of us, God, soften our hearts to your word. God, help us to kneel before you. Help us to have the attitude and the heart of a kingdom citizen. Father, we love you. We're so humbled that you love us. God, that you've been so patient with us, that you care so much about us, that you haven't given up on us. God, we so desperately want to be a part of your kingdom. Please guide us, God. Please open our eyes, open our hearts. Open our hearts to your word as we continue forward. It's in your son Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So guys, let's keep moving forward here. Let's look in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17 at what Jesus says here. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
And I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Man, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we've got to be careful here. Because if we're not careful, we can read this and think we've got to now out-Pharisee the Pharisees. We've got to obey more, and we've got to fast more, and we've got to work even harder. But that's not at all what Jesus means. And so he's going to spend the next section of his sermon showing us and teaching us what it means to have true righteousness and what it means to have a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And so what he does is he takes six examples of the old law and how they were being taught. And he shifts them away from the details of the law to the heart of the law. And he even clarifies, he's saying, hey guys, I'm not here to counter the law. I'm not here to diminish the law. I'm not here to downplay the law. And actually what he ends up doing is he ends up restoring God's law by taking us back to the intent and the heart of God. Jesus was shifting them away from the details of the law to the heart of the law giver. Now, let me give you a personal illustration of what Jesus is about to do. Okay, so we've got three daughters. Our two older ones, they share a room. And uh, one of our daughters, man, she sleeps hard. Okay, I mean, hard, deep, sweaty sleep. Just And she could sleep all day, okay? Our other daughter, the moment that... Daylight breaks into her window. She is up and not just like waking. She is up with full energy, ready to go. But she also, she does not like to be alone. So the moment there's daylight, she is talking to her sister. Hey, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. And and I mean, it could be five or six in the morning and we start hearing this loud playing. But the daughter that really needs sleep, she's just a mess the rest of the day. And I mean, she'll, she'll just break down, you know, she just won't let me sleep. And so we had to pull our other daughter aside and say, hey, so here's the deal. We need you not to talk to your sister until 7 a.m. Okay, because you're waking your sister up and it's just, it's making it really hard on her. Okay. So what do you know? Guess what's next? Five, six in the morning and we just start hearing these thuds. And next thing you know, there's loud playing at 6 a.m. They come out of their room finally, and she's all smiles because she obeyed. I didn't talk to my sister until seven. It's like, okay, yeah, but you were kicking the bottom of her bunk bed until she woke up. So yeah, you didn't talk to her, but, but that's not the point. The point was don't use words to wake your sister up until 7 a.m. The point was be considerate of your sister. Care more about what your sister needs than what you want. She really needs to sleep. So yeah, That's the point. And so that's, that's kind of what was happening here. 
And, and that's what Jesus is about to do and what we're going to see because things have gotten so wacky and so twisted. God's law was being abused and they were, they were looking for little loopholes in the little de- details and, and they were focusing on all the wrong stuff. And so Jesus addresses these six laws. You know, he gives a couple examples. Do not murder. Don't commit adultery. You know, matters of legal divorce or faithful oaths, an eye for an eye, loving your neighbor. Now, we don't have time to cover all of them in detail. So I've just pulled out a couple, okay, to help us see what Jesus is getting at here. So let's start with the first one. Do not murder. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Rakah, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in dangers of the fire of hell. So Jesus takes the sixth commandment here, right? Do not murder. And they were so focused on the exact words that God was saying that they missed the intent behind what, was, what God was doing in delivering this law. You know, guys, I think we've got to realize or think about is not being a murderer the standard we want to set for successfully dealing with conflict? No, right? The point is not, okay, what can I do in retaliation and still be sinless, right? Can, I mean, can you imagine if my, my kids were fighting and I pulled them aside and said, hey, I'm really proud of you guys for obeying God because you're fighting, but no one's killed each other yet, right? They, they were totally missing it. And so Jesus is shifting them away from the details of the law back to the heart and the intent of God. The intent of this law was to teach God's community to value human life. To kill someone means you no longer value that person's life. And you hold yourself above that person. You hold yourself in a position so much so that you feel justified in taking another life. The intent was to teach God's people to value life. But but it wasn't to just say, hey, you can get away with anything as long as it's not murder, right? And so Jesus breathes, he takes that and he goes deep, he goes beneath the surface, beneath the letter of the law, beneath the, the, you know, the action, and he gets to the heart. He's saying, you know what? That same heart in murder, that's a similar heart as if you were to call someone an idiot. Because in both situations, you have the heart where you don't value that person's life and where you think you're above that person. Jesus was shifting their focus away from the details of the law to the heart and intent of the lawgiver. Let's read in verse 31, Matthew 5 and verse 31. Let's look at another example. Jesus is talking about legal divorce here. Verse 31, it's been said, Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. 
But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So let, let's go ahead, let's turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 24 and let's read what Jesus is referencing here. Deuteronomy chapter 24 and we'll start in verse 1. It says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife to another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house or if he dies, then... Her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. And guys, let's break this down a little bit because this just shows how, how out of whack things had gotten. Okay, the, the Jewish divorce laws claimed that only a husband was allowed to initiate divorce with his wife. right? Because in the law, it specifically said, he writes her. So God never says anything or addresses anything about her writing him a, you know, a certificate of divorce. So therefore, it is only allowed for a male to divorce a female, for a husband to divorce his wife. Now, it, it gets way worse than this because then the focus shifted to the meaning of the phrase because he finds something indecent about her. And you had different schools of thought on this. This evolved over time. You know, in one school of thought you had, well, that, that means that there's immorality involved. But then you had other teachings of, well, that means if the husband find, finds anything that displeases him. I mean, down to something as minor as cooking. And, and then there were other interpretations of, you know, she finds no favor in his eyes. And so they took that to mean, well, you could divorce. You were illegally allowed to divorce your wife if you were no longer attracted to her. I mean, guys, this is how wacky things had gotten. They were taking the laws and breaking down and looking for the loopholes of what, what sanctioned legal divorce that God was okay with and that we wouldn't get in trouble for. I mean... You got to think God is just up there like, is this what you guys, is this what you think I'm getting at here? And so Jesus addresses this by going back to the intent of the law. Guys, the original intent of this law was actually to protect women from potentially being put in abusive situations. But they missed it. It wasn't about God giving sanction to, you know, all the reasons he was okay with divorce. No. And so Jesus was shifting their focus from the details of the law to the heart of the lawgiver. Let's look at another one here. Matthew 5, verse 38. An eye for an eye, right? We know this one. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one 
who wants to borrow from you. Guys, the purpose of this was a couple things. To ensure just treatment, but also to prevent unjust punishment. But just as we know, right, justice systems get abused. And so Jesus was addressing the heart of God and what his desire was for his people. It isn't about what type of retaliation you could get away with. It was about going the extra mile to not repay evil with evil. Because that just furthers the problem. Same, someone strikes your cheek, give them the other cheek. If someone wants to take your shirt, hey, just give them your cloak too. If a soldier wants you to carry his pack one mile, right? Because Roman soldiers were allowed to commandeer a Jewish citizen and, and, and require them to carry military equipment or their own pack for up to one mile. Can you imagine that? You're on your way to your friend's house or to your relative's house or to the market or your whatever. And all of a sudden a Roman soldier pops out of nowhere and forces you to pick up his backpack and go carry it a mile in the other direction. What Jesus is saying is, guys, we've got to go the extra mile to not retaliate and pay evil with evil. It would be more effective rather than in anger throwing that pack down and, and getting into it. Rather than that, it would be more effective to carry it a second mile. Can you imagine what would have gone on inside of that Roman soldier if you would have picked it up cheerfully? And just started walking. Maybe you're carrying on a conversation with him. And you pass the mile mark. He says, oh, no, no, hey, you can set it down now. And you say, no, that's fine. You seem like you really needed help. Right? You, you must have if you would have asked me to go all the way out of my way to carry your pack for a mile. So, you know what? Why don't I just go ahead and carry it all the way? Think of how that would have hit that soldier. Guys, Jesus wasn't teaching his disciples to be pushovers. He wasn't teaching them to be sissies that just get walked over. He was teaching the intent that we don't repay evil with evil. We've got to go the extra mile to repay evil with good. Jesus was shifting their focus from the details of the law to the heart of the lawgiver. And so this is where we get into the title of my message, The Kingdom Rule. Guys, when you look at all these things that Jesus was addressing, when you look at all these laws, what do you notice about them? What do you notice that they're getting at? Value human life. Don't objectify women. Don't mistreat women. Honor your marriage. Interact with each other with integrity and honesty. Repay evil with good. Don't just love your friends or your own people. Love everyone. Love even your enemies. What, is, what, what do these all have in common? Guys, it's all about people. But they were totally missing it. They were focused on all the wrong parts of what God was going after. And, and you got to think God was just sitting up there like, guys, I gave you these laws so that you would live the way that I intended and be a light to the rest of the world. So that you would treat people the way that I intended and stand out amongst the other nations. Do you really think that my intent is to give you 
what reasons you can use to divorce your spouse and not be in trouble? Do you really think that my intent was to give you all the ways that you could retaliate without being in trouble? They completely missed the point. And in doing so, they were so focused on the little details of this law and they set up this religion around all the details of this law. And in doing all that, they were actually hurting people in the process, which is actually the thing that God cared about the most. It was trying to communicate and convey. And guys, this is our nature and we've got to be careful. And we've got to watch out and we've got to evaluate this. It's in our nature to focus on the minor things that God really doesn't seem to care about. But in doing that, we can hurt people in the process, which is the thing that God seems to care about the most. Guys, we get focused on all the wrong stuff. We get upset about all the, do you really think God cares what time we meet? Do we really think that God cares about the order of our service or how fancy the bands are? Do you really think that God cares about the name that we slap on the outside of a building or the website? But we get so focused on all the things that God doesn't say much about. And in doing that, we get into fights with each other. We hurt each other, which is the thing that God cares most about, how we treat each other. Guys, Jesus was ushering in a kingdom where people treated one another the way that God intended for people to be treated. Jesus was shifting them away from the little details that they got so focused on to the heart of God. And so turn over to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Jesus sums up, he sums up this portion of, of his sermon here. When we get to this point in chapter 7, verse 12, he sums it all up by saying this. So in everything, do to others what you would want them to do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. He's saying, guys, you're focused on all these details of these 600 and something laws and you've totally missed the point. Let me simplify it for you. Let me break it down in, a, in an easier way to understand at what all these laws are pointing at. Treat other people the way that you would want to be treated. This sums up the law and the prophets. The summary of all the scripture that, you, that you've been so, you know, picking apart, finding lupa, the summary of it, you know, you know what it's saying? Treat people the way that you want to be treated. Guys, it's the golden rule, right? We know this. Corporations use this. Companies use this. Education uses this. But, but th this is Jesus' teaching. This is the kingdom rule. This is what it's all about. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. I've got to be honest, guys. I think kindergartners and kindergarten teachers sometimes have a higher standard for this than Christians do. 
Guys, the kingdom rule, this is so important. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Love others the way that you want them to love you. Guys, we've got to get this, especially in the climate that we're in right now. And sometimes we're good at this. But guys, there have been times right now that that I've been saddened. I've been saddened by the way I see that people who claim to be citizens of the kingdom of God treating one another. We've, We've got to get this. I'm not excluding myself from that. Guys, we we want the church to have an impact on our communities and on our cities and on our country and on the world. But the reality is we treat co-workers, we treat strangers better than we treat one another inside the church. Let me be a little more clear. Let Let me talk about a couple specific things. If you were afraid of catching a potentially deadly virus, wouldn't you appreciate if someone else wore a mask? Right now, I'm not even sitting here saying, hey, we need to have a rule where uh, we all wear masks, right? And, And if that's what you go to, then you're missing it, okay? Treat other people the way you'd want to be treated. If you were hurting and in pain and grieving and in fear and processing deep, deep emotion, would you want someone walking around with the attitude of, oh my gosh, when when are we going to get over this and move past this? But on the other side, If you really cared for someone and you had a good heart and you were trying your best to understand something so that you could be there with one another and for your friend that you love so much and you cared and your heart was in the best place, but you were just a little slow at getting it. Would you want someone to talk to you like you were just a complete idiot? Talk to you with disrespect, talk down to you? Guys, in the kingdom of God, we treat others the way that we want to be treated. We are patient with people to the extent that we hope others will be patient with us. We forgive others the way that we hope others will forgive us. We judge and assume the best of someone else's intentions the way that we hope they will judge our intentions. We talk to one another with compassion and mercy and respect and patience the same way that we hope others would talk to us. We lend a helping hand or a listening ear or a shoulder to cry on the same way we want others to be there for us. We repay evil and hurt with good and with love. And not just to those that are in the church not just to those that have submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, but to your classmates, to your boss or your teacher, to that annoying coworker, to your landlord, to the poor, to the needy, to the oppressed, to the victimized, everyone. 
That's the kingdom rule. We treat others the way that we want to be treated. We love others the way that we want others to love us. That's how we bring about change within the church and within the world. Guys, it doesn't matter what program we implement. It doesn't matter what fundraiser or campaign that we pursue. None of that matters. If we don't treat people the way that God intended for people to be treated. Man, that's a hard teaching. How do I do that? Guys, this is where we've got to bring it back full circle. Because living out the kingdom rule starts by having the kingdom heart kingdom attitude, that attitude of humility that we talked about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Guys, when we lose sight of our true condition and how broken we are and how sinful we are and how desperately in need of a savior we are, if we lose sight of how patient we've needed God to be with us and how patient others have had to be with us and how much we've needed forgiveness from God, if we lose sight of that, that's when we lose sight of the kingdom. Guys, God is doing something. His hand is on the world. And these are challenging times. There's so much uncertainty. There's so few answers. And, and things are changing. Things are shifting. God is doing so much. The kingdom is unfolding right before our eyes. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know who we need to be in the process. As we move forward, as we figure this stuff out, wherever the Spirit's leading us, we've got to make this shift. It's within our nature to focus and fight about all the things that God really doesn't seem to care that much about. We've got to shift from focusing on all that to focusing on what God clearly does care about. And that's how we treat one another. We've got to live out the kingdom rule. So I want to close our time this morning once again by reading Jesus's words here in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. It's so simple, but so profound. So in everything, everything, every situation, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And this sums up the law, and the prophets. Guys, I love you guys. And I know as we move forward as a church, we're going to continue to have kingdom hearts, to have humble hearts, and to live out the kingdom rule that no matter what, in everything, we are going to treat other people the way that we want to be treated. I love you guys. I look forward to being together next week at 10 a.m., same time. Talk to you later.